Book Two, Chapter Fourteen of Clara Vaughan, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Clara Vaughan, Volume One by R. D. Blackmore. Book Two, Chapter Fourteen. Meanwhile, old Christmas was come, and all I was worth in the world was change for half a sovereign. True, my lodgings were paid for, a fortnight in advance, because good Mrs. Shelfer wanted to treat all her pets to a Christmas dinner. But as for my own Christmas dinner, though I can't say I cared much for it, if I got one at all it must be upon credit, since my drawing would not be finished for another week. Credit, of course, I would not think of. Any day in the week or year I would rather starve than owe money. However, I was not going to cry about plum pudding, though once or twice it made me hungry to think of the dinner in the great hall at Vaughan Park on the Christmas Eve, a much more elaborate matter in the old time than the meal served in the dining-room next day. Now I sat in my little room this dreary Christmas Eve, and do what I would, I could not help thinking a little. It was a gusty evening, cold and damp, with scuds of sleet and snow, as yet it had not made up its mind whether to freeze or thaw. Nevertheless, the streets were full of merry laughing parties, proud of their bargains for the Christmas cheer, and as they went by, the mistletoe and the holly glistened in the flickering gaslight. For old recollection's sake, I had made believe to dress my little room with some few sprigs of laurel and unburied holly. The scepter branch, all cobbed with coral beads, was too expensive for me. Mistletoe I wanted not. Who was there now to kiss me? From the sheer craving of human nature for a word of kindness, I had called that afternoon upon Mrs. Elton. But good as she was, and sweet to me, she had near relatives coming, and I saw or fancied that I should be in the way. Yet I thought that her mother heart yearned towards me as she said good-bye, and showed me out by the Christmas tree, all trembling to be lighted. Now I sat alone and lonely by the flickering of three pennyworth of wood which I had bought recklessly, for the sake of the big ash-tree that used to glow with the lichen peeling round it on the old Christmas hearth, where I was believed the heiress. The little spark and sputter of my sallow billet, chopped by the poor old people at St. Pancras workhouse, led me back through eight sad years to the last merry time when my father was keeping his latest Christmas, and I, his pride and hope, was prouder than all at being just ten years old. How he carved and ladled the gravy! how he flourished his knife and fork with a joke all hot for every one, how he smiled when the thrice-helped farmers sent for another slice, and laughed when the crow-boy was nearly choked with plum pudding, how he patted me on the head and caught me for a kiss, when I, dressed up as head waitress with my long hair all tied back, pulled his right arm and pointed to Widow Hyatt's plate, the speech he made after dinner, when I was amazed at his eloquence and clapped my little hands, and the way he made me stand up on the chair and drink the Queen's health first, then the hurrahs of the tenants and servants, and how they kissed me outside. All this goes through my memory as the smoke of the billet goes up the chimney, and the tears steal under my eyelids. Then I see the long hall afterwards, with the tables cleared away and the lights hung round the tapestry, and the yule log roaring afresh. My father, a type of true English gentleman, not of the past but the present century, holding the hand of his wife, a lady of no condescending airs, but true womanly warmth and love, both dressed for the tenants' ball as if for the lord lieutenants, both eager to lead off the country dance and beating their feet to the music. Next them, a laughing child in a little white frock and pink slip, scarce to be known for myself, 
hand in hand with my brave chevalier master roderick blunt accounted by cookie and both ladies maids and most of all by himself my duly affianced lord then the housekeeper starched beyond measure yet not too stiff to smile and open for the nonce even to jokes about courtship yielding her gracious hand for the dance to the senior tenant a man with great calves red face and snow-white hair after them come hark a loud knock and a ring it is just in time before i begin the palinode who can want me to-night i want no one but those i cannot have whom the fire has now restored me though the earth has hidden them mrs shelfer is hard at work in the kitchen preparing a wonderful supper for charlie who has promised to come home she has canvassed the chance of his keeping this promise fifty times in the day hope cries yes experience whispers no at any rate the knock is not his for he always carries a latch-key she calls up the stairs miss valence before she goes to the door for who knows but she might be murdered in the midst of her christmas pudding i come out to prove my existence and stand in the dark on the landing she draws back the bolt i hear a gruff voice as if it came through a hat young woman by the name of clara wan live here yes to be sure miss valence you mean my good friend the name on this here ticket ain't wallence but wan all right my good friend all right it's just the same whore i don't know that though jim the name of the party here ain't wan after all it be wallent and three blessed days us has been all over london jim from the top of the van suggests that after all wallent and one be much of a muchness for his part he'll be blessed if he'll go any further with it let him and ben look at the young lady and see if she be like the card meanwhile of course i come forward and claim the parcel whatever it is mrs shelfer redoubles her assurances and calls the man a great oaf which has more effect than anything why jim this must be charlie's missus charlie shelfer's missus him as beat you so at skittles last week you know ah he did so and i'd like to back him again you ben for a court all around this fact is decisive who can doubt any more but for all that the book must be signed in the name of juan with which of course i comply when the two strong men have with much difficulty of which they made much more lowered the enormous package from the van ben stands wiping his forehead lor how hot it be to-night to be sure and the job us has had with this big lump surely both the handles come off long ago i wish my missus had got a feather bed half the weight of that five and twenty year i been along of this company man and boy but i never see such a direction as that there in all my born days did you ever jim well replies jim i see a many queer ones but none as could come up to that and who'd a thought after all their trouble for i'm blessed if they wrote that there under a week who'd a thought they put wan on it when they meant wallance but the young lady is a-waitin for us to drink her health ben and a merry christmas to her how much is the carriage i ask trembling for my change of the half-sovereign nothing miss only eightpence for delivery it be paid to paddington and if ever our company ironed eightpence i'm blessed if they haven't earned it now thank you miss and wery handsome on you and us hopes the contents will prove to your liking miss and make you a merry christmas away they go with the smoking horses after carrying into the little kitchen the mighty mon which mrs shelfer with my assistance could not stir bless me miss valence what a direction cries mrs shelfer when the full light falls upon it the direction was written in round hand upon a strip of parchment about four inches wide and at least eight feet in length 
it came from the bottom all up over the cover and down upon the other side so that no one could open the basket without breaking it asunder it was as follows miss clara vaughan lodges at number seven in prince albert street in london town near windsor castle in gloucestershire the daughter of mr henry valentine vaughan esq a nice tall young lady her always wears black things and walks very pert pale with a little red on her cheeks when they lets her alone can't be no mistake without it be done a purpose if so be this here little moun bain't brought to her safe and sweet and wholesome will be prosecuted with the utmost rigor of the law signed john huxtable his mark x witness timothy badcock his an x i wondered much whether mr beany daw had been called in to achieve this masterpiece of manuscript which was all in large round hand but without any stops it seemed beyond poor sally's art yet there were some loops and downstrokes that must be dear little sally's i took it off with much trouble the parchment was joined in four places and i have it now meanwhile mrs shelfer was dancing around it neglecting her supper in the wonder of this gigantic hamper let me get a chopper miss you'll never get it open why it's sewed as tight as an oyster however i did get it open at last and never shall i forget the contents there was a month's food for a family of twelve first came hay such as i never smelt out of devonshire then eighteen rolls of butter each with a snowy cloth around it the butter so golden even at that time of year that mrs shelfer compared it to the yolk of an egg looking out of the white then a story of clotted cream and beautiful lard and laver which they knew i loved then a floor of hay below it a pair of guinea fowls two large turkeys and most carefully wrapped from the rest a fine hair filled with dried sweet herbs below these a flitch of bacon two wood-smoked hams a pair of tongues a leg of exmoor mutton and three bottles of best elder wine then a brown paper parcel containing sally's last copy-book i had set her copies for half a year to come and a long letter the first i had ever received from tossles barton when all was out at last after the greatest delight and laughter as each thing appeared i fell back in utter dismay at the spectacle before me mrs shelfer sat on the floor unable to find her way out she was so flounced and tippeted with good things when i came to her relief she did nothing but go round and round what was left of the little room humming a catholic hymn and pressing both hands to her side but something must be done at once waste is wickedness how could we stave it off everything would depend upon the weather at present all was beautifully fresh thanks to the skilful packing and the frost albeit the mighty package had made the round of all the albert streets in london mrs shelfer would have looked at it for a month and at intervals exclaimed bless me my good friend that beats charlie's pockets how they must eat in devonshire come mrs shelfer what good are you at housekeeping you don't help me at all let us put most of it out of doors at once you have no cellar and i suppose they have none in london at least we can give it the chance of the open air and it is not snowing now oh but the cats miss well i must find some plan for them before we go to bed now come and help that's a good little creature and i'll give you some elder wine when we have done so we got all that was taintable into the little yard while tom who never stole except when quite sure of impunity looked on very sagely there we fixed it all up to the wall secure except from cats of whom a roving band serenaded me every night i presented mrs shelfer at once with a turkey a specimen of natural history not found by the roadside even on mr shelfer's sabbath journey 
also a ham, and three rolls of butter. As to the rest, I would think what to do with it afterwards. Mrs. Shelfer kept off the cats until midnight, after which I held them at bay by the following means. With one of my mineral paints mingled with some phosphorus, I drew upon a black board a ferocious terrier, the size of life, with fangs unsheathed, bristles erect, and eyes starting out of his head. We tried the effect in the dark on poor Tom, who arched his back, and sputtered with the strongest execration, then turned and fled ignobly, amid roars of laughter from Mr. Shelfer, who by this time was come home. This one-headed Cerberus, being hung so as to oscillate in the wind, right across the cat-leap, I felt quite safe, so long as my chemical mixture should continue luminous. End of Book 2, Chapter 14